very grateful. An incredible group tonight. I know that we are getting close to finals. An incredible group out on this beautiful day. Wasn't the weather nice today, amen? Yeah, like three people enjoyed the sunshine. I enjoyed it. It was nice, about 72 degrees. I'll tell you what, though. It makes having your Christmas decorations up a little difficult. <laughs> we decorated for Christmas, and I walk outside, it's 80 degrees. I'm like, this is not going to work. <laughs> We're going to have to do something about this. Hey, I'm very thankful that you're here tonight. Welcome to The View. Very excited that you are here. Mondays matter. We are very excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight. My name is Daniel Harris. I serve as the college pastor here at The View. I'm coming up on five years that I've been involved in this ministry in January. Uh, very grateful to be here. Very grateful to be a part of something special. I believe The View is a special place at a special time with a special group of people. Uh, I believe this place has been marked by the Lord as a special place. And we are seeing revival, salvations, baptisms, and it's all to the glory of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Very excited that you're here tonight. I want to tell you, if this is your first time, you are very important because I want you to know I was a first-time guest just like you are. And listen, here's the thing. Some of you are second or third-time guests. You've heard me say this and you're tuning me out. Listen, we would love to get connected with you and to help you get more involved with our ministry. It's great to come in here on Mondays and sit and be involved and worship and hear the sermon, but there's so much more to the view. There's so much more to Bellevue. There's so much more to Christianity, if I can be honest with you. And what we want to do is we want to help you get involved if you are a first-time guest because you matter. And what I want you to do is I want you to text GUEST to the number on the screen. You guys know it. A lot of you probably haven't memorized. You have this number memorized yet? We use this number for everything. If you don't have it memorized, memorize it. 901-833-7525. Reach out to that number. And we would love to connect with you and encourage you. You'll hear from some of our staff as well. If you have your Bibles and something to write with and a journal, I would love for you to join me and turn to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now let me set up kind of where we are in this series. We've done four weeks. We're doing a sermon series called It's Not About Me. And in this sermon series, we are learning what it truly means to die to self. That living for Jesus is about giving up our passions, our desires, our wants, and our needs, and, and allowing Christ to replace those with his. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. What does it mean to be crucified with Jesus? It means it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Your time, your money, your schedule. Your relationship with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And in this series, we laid out the groundwork for that. We talked about the differences between relationship and religion. Uh, after that, we did two weeks where we did a panel and we talked about sex. We talked about how sex is a good thing. It's made by God. But what humans do is we take it out of context and we use it in a sinful way. And then last week, you'll remember very clearly, we talked about marriage for some of us, I got hit in the gut. Some of us got hit in the gut by what the word says. We talked about how even our marriage or dating or singleness is not about us, but it's ultimately about the Lord. Well, tonight we're staying under that umbrella. We're staying in our series. It's not about me. And for the next four weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the guys in the Bible who truly had to die to self. He went through some trials. He went through some battles. He had some Goliaths. He's had some pits in his life. He had some things go really bad, and he was betrayed by some of the people closest to him. The title of my sermon tonight, I would love for you to write this down at the top of your notes, is Joseph, colon, it's not just a pit. It's not just a 
pit. Now, I want to look at the life of Joseph, but tonight I want to look at his brothers for a moment. Walk with me, if you will. Many of us are familiar with the story of Joseph, but there's a lot of us in here who are not. I'm very excited for you to get familiar with it. And for some of us who are a little acquainted with this text, I believe it's going to be good for us to truly take a deep look at it and how it applies to the life of a college student. But I want you to understand, tonight we're going to look at his brothers. Tonight we're going to look at his family. We're going to look at the people who ultimately betrayed Joseph. And here's why. I want you to understand this. His brothers, his four brothers, they had a huge fall. They had a huge fall. They went from the shepherds of sheep to then, watch this. Here's a transition. Don't miss this. They went from shepherds of sheep to haters of their brother to possible premeditated murderers to liars and finally to ended up selling their brother into slavery. That's a big fall. Trey, that's a long way to go. How did they get there? How does someone go? And we see it in our culture all the time. We see good Christian leaders fall. We see Christians get on fire for Jesus, and then we see them fall. How do you go from a place where you are a shepherd of a sheep to falling and becoming almost a murderer? I mean, becoming someone who sells your own brother into slavery. How did they get here? What I want you to understand is they did not fall because of one random huge step. They fell because of a whole bunch of minor steps. One thing that I miss during COVID is I miss going to the Malco movie theater. Anybody miss the movie theaters? I'm in. Goodness gracious, I miss the movie theaters. You can go now, but they're not showing any good movies. <laughs> They've got like $5 Hocus Pocus in there and stuff like that. And Toy Story is all right, though. I ain't going to lie. Toy Story is pretty. I love Toy Story. Amen. You know how they get you to spend a whole lot of money at the movie theater? Because you go in planning to spend about $7.50, and, and what happens is you go in and somehow you lose your wallet. <laughs> what happens is you go into the movie theater and you look around and there's pictures everywhere. There's movie posters, of course, but if you pay attention, there's pictures of popcorn and drinks and there's all these pictures around. And then I have never been to a movie theater where the concession stand was not directly in the center where you have to pass by it to get to your theater. <laughs> they place it right there in the middle where you have to pass by it if you're going to see your movie. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And then you walk up to the counter. You get up there and you just want to get maybe a medium popcorn and you start looking between the glass and what you see. You start seeing, man, they got some Skittles. <laughs> they got some Sour Patch Kids. They got some M&Ms up here. They got peanut M&Ms. And you start seeing all this candy and it looks good. And then you tell them, you're like, hey, can I just get a medium bag of popcorn? Like, I don't need nothing else. And they're like, are you sure you could upgrade for a dollar more? <laughs> and you start debating. You're like, well, I mean, it is a dollar. And they're like, oh, what do they say then? They say, and the large is free refills. <laughs> And boom, they're just pulling you in, pulling you in, pulling you in. Again, you close it, close it, close it. And then you go and you buy the popcorn. And then they're like, hey, you want to add a drink? You can make it a combo. Two and a half more dollars. And next thing you know, you go into the movie theater. You just spent $50. You bought candy for your whole family. You bought candy for every friend you got. You're sitting there. You got two tubs of popcorn. You don't even know how it happened. You don't even know how it happened. You got two drinks. You got a Sprite. You got a Dr. Pepper. Like, what am I going to do with these? You know how they get you there. Watch this. This is what they do. They, are you ready? They get you to spend major cash, watch, by offering you minor deals. You know how Satan tempts you? He gets you to fall into a major pit by tempting you with minor temptations. And every step of the way, he starts tempting you and tempting you more. And it's very small. It's a dollar here. It's $2 there. It's adding this on. It's giving into this desire. It's giving into this sin. And what happens is you end up to a major fall. How do we avoid that? 
tonight. I want to talk through that idea with me. Let's look at Genesis 37. Hey, guys, from the soundboard, there's, uh, there's some sound. I'm so sorry. There's some sound coming through these speakers of people talking. Is there any way we could uh, get that off? I'm so sorry. I don't know if you all can hear it, but there's some talking coming from these speakers. Let's look at uh, Genesis 37. Can you all hear that? Yeah, they can hear that, too. I don't know what that is. Genesis chapter 37. We're picking up in the life of Joseph. We're going to start with verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to work our way through these as a narrative. Verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. There's a big underline that in your Bible. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep, not alone, but with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And watch this. He brought a, my translation, the CSB says bad report. Underline that in your Bible. Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers to their father as to how they were tending sheep. Now, we're going to work our way through almost this whole chapter, but we're going to stop right there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I would encourage you to pray as well. There's, you know, spiritual warfare is very real, and I know that there is spiritual warfare going on in the room tonight. I would encourage you to pray. Let me tell you something. The devil is a loser. And I know the devil, look at me. I know the devil is trying to keep you from walking out with what God has for you tonight. He will not win. He is a loser. God is on his throne. God wants you to walk out with something tonight. Heavenly Father, right now I pray in the name of Jesus that you would overwhelm this room with your presence and your spirit. Father, I pray right now I rebuke the devil in the name of Jesus from distractions in this room. Father, I rebuke him from discouragement in this room. Lord, I pray that we would zone in right now on what you have for us. Father, we believe that you are in this room. We believe you are moving. And Lord, I just pray that you would save someone tonight. Lord, I pray that you would slow us down and allow us to sit at your feet and learn. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write the big idea. Here it is. The four pits that Joseph's brothers fell into. Now, they threw Joseph into a pit, but that's not the pit I want to key in on here. I want to talk about the four pits that Joseph's brothers fell into because there's four big ones in this chapter alone. I believe the true down, downfall of this is the progressive slow fade that his brothers have towards sin and towards wickedness. I'm going to show you four selfish aspects of his brothers because when we look at his brothers' lives, we learn a lot about selfishness. You want to talk about dying to self and it's not about me. We learn a lot when you look at his brothers. Now let me talk about family for a moment. Jasmine just led us in a prayer time over our families, a big part of it. Joseph, watch this. Joseph did not get to choose the family which he was born into. And none of us in this room got to choose the family that we were born into. None of us get to choose. We're born into that family. And just like a lot of our families, watch this. Joseph was born into a family that had a little bit, I'm going to say the word, and you're going to know what I'm talking about, a little bit of dysfunction, a little bit of drama. Some things weren't completely right in his family. And you know what? There's a lot of us in this room who come from families where there's some dysfunction. There's some drama. There's some hurt and some pain. There's some things going on in our families that we're, we would never talk about with anyone else, that we're ashamed of, that we walk around feeling angry about. There's lack of trust. There's lack of vulnerability in our families. There's a lot of pain that goes on in the life of a college student and their family. Many of you have never had a deep talk about God with your parents. Does that hit home? Some of you in the room grew up without a dad. Some of you in the room grew up without a mom. 
Some of you have been betrayed by people you supposedly could trust. Joseph knows the feeling. And I want you to understand about Joseph's family here. Joseph's dad. Talk about Jacob for a moment. His father, Jacob, was not the most stable man by any means. Jacob tried to trick his own father into giving him the family fortune instead of it going to his brother Esau. Tried to trick his own father, which, of course, ended up in disaster. We all know Esau then tried to kill Jacob. Jacob has to run for his life. So Joseph's dad and his uncle both have dysfunction. Joseph loved his dad, but Joseph did not choose to follow his dad in all of the footsteps that his dad went through. Joseph chose to be a little bit different, some ways majorly different from his parents. And I know this is home, which, and I want to walk through this very slowly. I don't want to go too fast through this part. Listen, Joseph looked at his family. He loved his family. However, he realized that if he was going to follow God, he was going to have to do some things different from his family. And you know what? There's a lot of us in the room tonight, if we were honest, who will admit, if we're really going to follow God, there's some things we're going to have to do differently than our family. I want to, yes, sir, amen, I'm getting there. Listen, your family, love them, respect them, pray for them. That's a command. But I want you to understand something. You are not bound to become like your mom and your dad. You are not bound to become like your mom and your dad. Your call is to take the good aspects, the godly aspects, let me reward that, the godly aspects of your mom and your dad and the ungodly aspects that you have seen, you are meant to learn from those and be sanctified in those areas, not just accept that that's the way I'm going to be. What I mean is there's people in here who have watched their parents get angry for 20 years and believe that that's the only way to live a marriage. There's people in here who have watched their parents gossip and talk bad about people, and you believe that that's the only way you interact is to gossip. The only thing you do when you have people over is to talk about the people who aren't in the room. You are not trapped to generational sin. I want you to understand something. This is such a great truth. Jesus Christ is amazing. Jesus Christ is our Savior. Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again. And I want to tell you something. Jesus is not just a life-changing God. Watch this. He is a generational life-changing God. Jesus Christ changes people's lives for generations. There is no sin in your family that you cannot break through of, that you cannot overcome. You are not a slave to the sins of your parents. If your parents got a divorce, you can be the one to break that. You can be the one to live a godly marriage. If you grew up in a home where you never had vulnerable talks with your parents, then guess what? God, the Spirit of God in you, is enabling you one day to have those vulnerable talks with your kids. Love your parents. Pray for your parents. But look at me, and I'm so serious about this. This generation has to know you are called to be like Christ. Where your parents look like that, you look like your parents. Where your parents don't look like that, you don't look like them. You're free. You are free from the chains of sin if you have Jesus Christ on your side. And now look at Joseph's brothers. Joseph's dad had sons with four different mothers. It's no wonder that there was competition and jealousy in the room. There's no wonder that there was this sense of, mm, I don't like Joseph because of this. I don't like him because of that. It's no wonder there were sons with four different mothers. But I want you to understand his brother's jealousy ran much deeper than just the dreams we're about to see Joseph have in a minute. They hated Joseph before that and couldn't speak nicely to him. The dreams were the cherry on top. The first pit that we see of the brothers, and I want you to write this down, is the pit of unfaithfulness. The pit of unfaithfulness. 
Now, did you know that in verse 2, we just read it, in this very chapter, it tells us a lot of what we need to know about his brothers. It tells us that Joseph had to give a bad report about his brothers in the way that they tended sheep. Isn't that fascinating? So, before we get to the dreams, before we get to the robe, they were not handling what they were supposed to handle with the sheep. They were not being faithful with the sheep. There were flaws in how they were shepherding. They were choosing to cut corners. Scripture tells us they were poor shepherds. And I want to tell you something. This applies to the life of a college student. They were unfaithful with the little that God had given them. And if you are unfaithful with the little that God has given you, do not expect God to give you more. They weren't faithful. And listen, when they took their eyes off of their own calling from God, they started eyeballing and becoming jealous of Joseph's calling. When you take your eyes off of your calling and stop focusing on the work that God has given you, don't be surprised when you end up jealous of other people's calling. Now, we don't know why they were poor shepherds. We don't know why. I can give you two possibilities. We don't know why, but it's very possible that they viewed the task of shepherding as beneath them. I cannot tell you how many college students, I'm not going to name names, but I can't tell you how many college students I've had on the phone, and I used to be this way. I can't tell you how many college students I've had on the phone where I've asked them if they would be willing to come up to the church and serve in some form or capacity. And when I told them what the task was, I could literally hear, pastor wants me to do what? Pastor wants me to clean what? Pastor wants me to wash what? Pastor wants me to wake up on Saturday morning and be at what? And they're almost blown away that I would ask them to come and serve the church. Almost blown away that I would ask them, hey, man, would you want to wake up early Saturday morning? What you talking about, Pastor? I'm not waking up early on Saturday morning. Hey, man, would you like to wash some cars with us? I'm not washing no cars. Listen, can I remind you of something? For all of us who think that serving is beneath us, do you know that the Messiah you're claiming to serve is a Messiah who got down on his hands and knees and washed people's feet at a time when people's feet were filthy? Do you realize that's our Messiah? Our Messiah washed people's feet. If that's true, it's time for Christians to roll up those sleeves. Break out into a spoken word. There is no task beneath you or me. None. And maybe that was Joseph's brother's problem. Maybe it wasn't. But let me tell you something. When you have an opportunity to serve, if you are so prideful that you don't take that opportunity because you think it's for someone else beneath you, all I got to say is shame on you. And shame on me. Because that does not reflect our Messiah. I'll keep going a little bit. Our Messiah, literally all throughout the Gospels, went and engaged with, watch this, he wasn't going to the people who could build his career up. He wasn't going to the politicians and trying to leverage his way into getting some position. He wasn't trying to build some career. Jesus Christ, while he was living, was going to the exiles and the outcasts of society. Do you realize that? All this networking we want to do to build our career. Look at what Jesus networked with. Sinners and people who had leprosy. <laughs> That's who he networked with. He physically touched people of a different skin color. There's college students in this room who go home and talk negative about other people because of their skin color. I got news for you. Newsflash. Racism is a sin. Jesus Christ broke every cultural barrier, every racial barrier, every political barrier. He broke every single barrier, and he physically touched people who had leprosy. And we come in here on a Monday night, and we're so stuck in our own ways, we refuse to walk up to somebody who's sitting alone and engage with them. There is no task beneath you. Not if you claim to serve Jesus. It's time to die to that pride. It's time for that pride to get flushed down the toilet. 
We have to serve. And guess what? Here's what's amazing. When you serve, you get more than you ever give. Yeah, I said it. You get more than you ever give. What's amazing is when you serve, when you roll up those sleeves, when you start doing things that aren't always just building yourself up but building other people up, you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you get filled with a joy that no man or woman can take. There's somebody in here who probably got a call this weekend like from a pastor asking to serve and like, I got to call that pastor back. I told him no. I'm not trying to beat you over the head, but I want you to understand, if you're claiming to follow Jesus, he washed feet and he touched people who were beneath him popularity-wise. You and me got to stop going to people who we believe is on the same social standard as us. <laughs> I got to keep going. Maybe they were lazy. <laughs> I don't know. I'm spitballing here. Two of the reasons why they were poor shepherds. Maybe they thought it was beneath them. Maybe they were lazy. We see both of those when it comes to the rest of the chapter. Maybe they were lazy. You ever been around a lazy Christian? <laughs> You ever been a lazy Christian? I have. Man, it's tough when you're a lazy Christian. Me and my wife went to Miami last summer. I love talking about Miami. We, we went all around the city. We saw the architecture. We saw the city. We talked to people of different backgrounds and different walks of life, and it was awesome. And while we were in Miami, we would go to South Beach, and we would hang out for a while. She was reading Harry Potter. She finished the entire book seven on the beach, and she sat there and cried, <laughs> cried her eyes out. I don't know if we have Harry Potter fans in here, but she cried. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to embarrass you. She loved it. Though. She didn't cry at all. She was tough about it. She cried. And we were in Miami, and I was watching the lifeguards the whole week because they have these lifeguard towers, a little bit different than Panama City Beach. They have these lifeguard towers, and I watched these lifeguards, and these lifeguards were so cued in the whole time. I'm talking about these guys were locked. These guys were loaded. These guys were ready. They were on the move. There was no such thing as a lazy lifeguard. You couldn't make it if you were a lazy lifeguard. I wrote this down in my notes. I thought it was cool. I wrote that lifeguards are not lazy because they've come to the realization that the people around them are at risk of drowning. Then I wrote that a lazy Christian has not yet come to the realization that the people around them are at risk of dying and going to hell. Every person you pass, every soul you encounter, is either on the path to heaven or the path to hell. And hell is not something that's talked about quite nearly enough in the church, but hell is very real. It's eternal separation from God. And if you are saved, you hold within you the great power to not save someone, but to share with them the saving news of the gospel. If you have that truly inside of you, how can you not pass it on? How? Have you ever led somebody to the Lord? I mean, really. I was 22, a college student, never led somebody to the Lord. I know the feeling. I've been right where you are, and a pastor challenged me too. First time I led someone to the Lord, I was at University of Memphis in the university center, sat down with a guy named Zach, shared the gospel with him. He gave his life to Jesus right there, and from that day forward, my whole perception of evangelism changed. But it didn't change until I got to lead someone to the Lord. For a lot of you, your perception of sharing the gospel right now is probably not as elevated as it could be. But once you experience the glorious truth of seeing someone literally transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, transferred from the broad road they're walking onto hell onto the narrow path that leads to heaven, your life will be changed forever. Can I get a hallelujah? <laughs> Thank you. I heard you. Hallelujah. 
Literally, you could walk up to somebody tonight and lead them to the Lord. Do you realize that? You could be the person who gives your life to the Lord. You could go to cookout tonight and see somebody else eating in the parking lot and go up to them and say, hey, man, what's going on? My name's so-and-so. How are you? That's awesome. You go to school anywhere? That's great. Man, can I ask you a question? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And you know what? They might reject you. I got rejected today at campus ministry at U of M. Dude laughed at me. <laughs> Kept walking. I said, man, this guy. <laughs> I got ripped jeans on and everything. He still don't want to talk to me. I'm trying here. I'm trying to give it the times, man. And you know what? When you get rejected, you still rejoice. You still rejoice. Because you don't just celebrate the saving of the gospel. Watch this. You celebrate the sharing of the gospel. And I just want to say this. I don't know who this is for in the room. If you have a family member, let's connect these two dots. If you have a family member that doesn't know the Lord, I'm betting you do. You could be the one to lead them to Jesus Christ. Is it a family member? Is it a roommate? A fraternity brother? A sorority sister? Is it, we just saw a football player from U of M get baptized. Is it a teammate? Is it the person sitting right next to you? Who could you lead to Jesus Christ? I got to keep moving. Paul talks about the fact that he was so motivated by the gospel. He became all things to all people and preached the gospel to literally all of Asia so that no one else's blood was on his hands. Acts 19 verse 10 tells us this very clearly. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Not only that, here is Paul's mission even clearer. I love these verses. This is Acts 20, 22 to 27. Paul says, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, bound in my spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit testifies to me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Let me just pause right there. Paul's going town to town, sharing the gospel, and what God has promised him is not fortune and fame and prosperity. No, God has promised him chains. God has promised that he is going to be rejected by this world. I want you to understand something. The prosperity gospel is not real. You don't get saved and then Jesus puts a million dollars in your bank account to go buy a Lambo. It don't work that way. When you get saved, you begin to find your value not in a dollar amount on your bank account, but in who he is and who he has called you to be. That's Jesus Christ. And you know what? What did he call Paul to do? He called Paul to literally become all things to all people and be beaten and tortured for the sake of the gospel. We would be so outraged at God if he called us to get rejected for the gospel. And yet that's our calling. See, where we live today in Western civilization, we want everything to be comfortable. We want to put our feet up. We want to live a Christianity that is easy. I got to tell you something. It's the truth. You come here, you're going to hear it. A lot of times Christianity is not easy. It's chains. It's being rejected. It's being laughed at. And you know what? In the midst of that, if you can rejoice, there's no situation you cannot rejoice in. Look at what Paul says in the rest of the verses. In verse 24, here it is. But I consider my life no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of everyone's blood. For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole plan of God. Can I give you two? Watch this. I don't miss this. Can I give you two things? Watch. You don't have to write them down. You have Paul in the New Testament, and you have Joseph's brothers. One was so obedient. Think about this. 
One was so obedient that he literally shared the gospel with all of Asia and was beaten and tortured, and the other couldn't even be faithful to shepherd sheep. Which category are you and I in? His brothers couldn't be faithful to shepherd sheep. I want you to write this down. One of the greatest killers to faithfulness is entitlement. One of the greatest killers to faithfulness is entitlement. B, let me give you the second thing, and then we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. B is we see the pit of unfaithfulness. Now we see the pit of insecurities. We've seen the brothers on two things. One, they were not faithful with their own calling to God. But two, they fall into the pit of insecurities. Look at verse 3. Of chapter 37. Now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. We're all familiar with the robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Now I want you to understand, Joseph has a lot going on in his life. Joseph has a good amount. He's shepherding the sheep. As far as we know, he's faithful. Not just that, he has a robe that is of many colors representing the love that his father has for him. But not only that, he is about to enter into dreams that are from God about his calling to have authority and to one day be the ruler, not just over his family, but over Egypt. Joseph has a lot going on in his life. And when his brothers look at his calling, when they look at what Joseph has been blessed with, they do not sense a, a celebration. What they do is they sense comparison. They begin comparing themselves to Joseph, and that comparison takes them straight down the ship all the way to jealousy. I want you to understand something. When you are comparing yourself to others, you will become jealous. You will fall into jealousy. They become jealous of Joseph. And what happens is they have these insecurities well up inside their heart and their mind. And insecurity, and I want you to write this down, an insecurity arises when you have a lack of assurance. That's literally what the definition of an insecurity is. It means when you have a lack of assurance in your life, you begin to develop an insecurity. Let's level with the brothers. I mean, really, so grateful that you're here tonight. Let's level with the brothers for a minute. Man, it had to be hard, didn't it? To see Joseph be celebrated like that, to see him have that robe. Some of us, man, there's people in our lives who God's doing big things for. To have a calling like that, it must have been hard for the brothers. That's a hard situation. We can level with them. But I want to tell you something. That doesn't give them a pass. Hear me. Difficult situations do not give you a pass for disobedience and sin. Difficult situations do not give you a pass for disobedience and sin. Just because you're in a hard situation does not give you a pass, well, I guess I'll sin. I guess I'll choose the pleasures of my flesh. It's not okay. When you're in a trial, when you're in something, when your job gets hard, when your marriage gets hard, and you know what? Money may get tight one day. When you're in the middle of that, God has something for you in that, and it's not disobedience and it's not sin. Now, I want you to understand something. God has an answer for every single one of your insecurities. Did you know that? God has an answer for every single one of your insecurities. And every single one of them comes from Scripture. Here's a big one. Write this down. I can't be forgiven for my sins. 
a lot of people struggle with this insecurity when it comes to forgiveness for their sins. A lot of people do. And I want you to write down that reference, 1 John 1.9. I want you to understand that when it comes to the forgiveness of your sins, it says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to understand another one. I'll be abandoned. <laughs> A huge insecurity of people who have grown up without moms, without dads, who have grown up where they were betrayed by someone they love, maybe a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or where they were betrayed by somebody who they were supposed to love. They begin to develop an insecurity of, I'll be abandoned. I'll been, I've been there. I want you to know Isaiah 41.10. It's an amazing verse. It's my life verse. I memorized this in one of the loneliest seasons of my life. Isaiah 41.10 says, fear not, for I am with you. Be not afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's two of them. There's another one. I am not loved. There are many Generation Z and millennials who walk around craving so badly to feel and sense that they are loved. Can I tell you that your love, all the love you need, comes from God. Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrates. Literally, it was an action. God demonstrates his love for you and me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Literally, at your lowest, when you were dead, Christ chose to die for you because he loves you that much. That's an amazing concept. The other one is, I won't make it out of this trial. There's a lot of us who go through trials, and we believe that we will never make it through. Like we are trapped in this, that we can't get through. You're going through a hardship. You got a battle. You got something going on in your life. Moses and the Israelites have experienced that when they were standing at the sea of the red, at the sea of the red, at the shore of the Red Sea. He's standing there. He's got Pihaharoth over this way. It's a rocky range of land. He can't go there. Forts and garrisons are this way. And literally the Egyptians are chasing the Israelites. They get to the Red Sea and it's this, this body of water where they have nowhere to go and they feel trapped and they feel like they have nowhere to go. And you know what? Many of us in our lives feel like the Israelites do in that moment. We feel like we're trapped. We feel like there's nowhere to go. We're surrounded by all these fears. We're surrounded by all these worries. And i got to think about my college. i got to think about my career. My friend really isn't loving me the way I should. My, my friend group, there's no vulnerability in this friend, friend group. There's no realness here. And we get closed in. And then Moses' words ring true when he tells the Israelites. Look at this in Exodus 14. Moses says, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you must be quiet. Maybe what you and me need to do is stop trying to fight and win our battles and allow the Lord to fight those battles for us. You and me are trying so hard. We really think that worrying is the answer. We think that the longer I worry about a problem, the more progress I'm making to solve it. That's not true. Tony Evans says that worrying is like a rocking chair. You ever heard that? Worrying is just like a rocking chair. You spend a whole lot of energy, but you're not actually going anywhere. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. <laughs> Somebody's like, my grandpa does that. <laughs> he rocks back and forth all the time. Like, just because you and I are worrying does not mean we are going to find the answer to our solution. Hear me. You worrying more does not provide the solution to your problem. Can I tell you what will? Getting face down on the ground and getting nasty in prayer. <laughs> Getting literally nasty in prayer. Maybe the Lord will fight those battles for you. I need to keep moving. The next one is, I know nobody struggles with this in the room. Let me preface it. There's nobody who struggles with this one. There's not a, not a single one of us. This is for somebody else. I hope my friend hears this one. I need to be liked by everyone. 
We we don't struggle with this one. Should I just skip over it? I mean, we don't. Let's be honest, especially guys, right? Guys, we don't care what people think of us, right? We're all tough, and we got it all together, and uh, yeah, I'm the man. That's a lie. I can't tell you how many men I talk to who are so insecure about what other people think of them. Women, too. (laughs) Let me tell you something. (laughs) If you are worried about everybody liking you, you are going to live a very miserable life. You are probably also going to live a very ungodly life. If you are a Christian, you are living in a non-Christian world. I want you to understand something. Jesus has told you very clearly what the truth of the matter is. One of my favorite verses comes from Luke 6, 26. This is the answer to that. Look at this on the screen. Here it is right here. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. The context of this is that if you are truly preaching and proclaiming the gospel in this world, the world's not going to like you. Hello. Jesus Christ literally changed the entire world and called it out of its sin. A sinful world is not going to like you when you start calling them out of their sin. And you know what? There's a red flag. If everybody speaks well of you, if you don't have any enemies, if you don't have anyone who dislikes you for you sharing truth and sharing the gospel with them, that might be a red flag. (laughs) Did people not like Jesus? I don't know, Daniel. Did they? You're thinking about it. They nailed him to a tree. (laughs) They crucified him. (laughs) Did people not like Paul? They stoned him. They beat him. They almost killed him. (laughs) He literally almost killed Christians before he had a radical transformation. (laughs) Joseph has a special call on his life, and guess what the worldly brothers think? Oh, let's kill him. He's got something special inside of him, so since there's something special inside of him, we just got to get rid of him. That'll never be the answer. That will never be the answer. If you are running around chasing the opinions of other people, you are going to be running around spiritually on E. You know, when you drive your car and it's on E and you're barely getting around anywhere and you got to keep looking at the gauge, you got to keep looking at the gauge, you got to keep looking at the gauge. That's what it's like chasing after people's opinions. You're just running on E, you're tired, and you keep looking at their opinions, keep looking at their opinions, keep looking at their opinions, and you can't even live for Jesus. <laughs> that's not in my notes. I don't know who that's for. The last one I have of an insecurity I want to give you is that my achievements and my attractiveness determine my value. My achievements and my attractiveness determines my value. I love John 1, 12 and what it has to say when it comes to this verse. Look at it with me on the screen. But to all who did receive him, Jesus, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. There is no amount of achievements that you can reach that will solidify your joy. There's no wedding that you can have, there's no marriage, there is nothing that will solidify your joy besides Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this idea of appearance. I'm going to talk about this for a minute. I have to. One of the insecurities of Joseph's brothers was an appearance-based insecurity. You ever thought about that? We always think of appearance as, oh, it's what girls struggle with. It's what girls struggle with. Guys don't struggle with that. Do you realize that it's four brothers, not four sisters? Hello? When they look at Joseph, they see a robe of many colors. When they look at Joseph, they see beauty. And you know what? Judging off of how Potiphar's wife reacted, Joseph was probably a good-looking man. (laughs) Joseph probably had a little bit going on. Might have been tall, dark, and handsome for all we know. Joseph had it going on, and his brothers see the colorful robe. They see how beautiful he is, and they go, oh, we can't stand for this. (laughs) 
Let's throw them in a pit, rip off the robe. Men, don't tell me that you don't struggle with an appearance-based insecurity. We all do. When we live in this world of appearance, there's no way we can't struggle with an appearance-based insecurity. I want you to understand something about our culture, man. I got to be real. I got to say what it is. TikTok. TikTok has pretty much confirmed that for a woman to get attention, she can do one of two things, either start showing some skin or start dancing. That's what our culture has confirmed. It's confirmed that the only way for a girl to get any real value or attention on TikTok is you better start showing some skin or you better start dancing. And you know what? We got a generation of Christians just sitting around accepting it. Do you know how much of a lie that is? You get on there and all you see is sin and sin and sin and temptation and you just see it running rampant and running rampant and running rampant. And what we do is we buy into the lie that how you truly earn your value, how you truly earn your success is by taking your clothes off or doing a dance. And what happens is it doesn't stop there. The culture says keep going, doesn't it? It says keep going, keep going, show more, do more, talk like this, talk like that. And then we get in relationships where we start dating. We talked about it two weeks ago. And when we start dating, a lot of girls and a lot of guys think that they have to give sex to make their partner happy before marriage. And then just that one line's not enough. I got to keep going. I got to do more. I got to do more. Well, now he or she isn't happy with this, so I got to do more. And you just keep going further and further and further and further and further into sin. And I got to tell you, it's a wake-up call. The world's calling for you is not God's calling for you. The world has different expectations than what God has. Do not buy into the lie that the world is telling you. And it's time we start standing up and addressing some of these issues. Your value is not in what you achieve in this world. Your value is in the fact that you have gotten saved and you are a child of God. So it doesn't matter what other people think of you. And whether you get their approval or whether you get shares or whether you get likes or whether you get comments or whether people come up to you. Who cares? If your sins have been paid for and you get to know Jesus today and go to heaven one day, that's all you need. There's a lot of men in the room who are buying the lie that our culture it's constantly pressing on them. It's trying to take your leadership and your authority away. Because all you do when you get on social media is you see men objectifying women. You see men being jerks. You see men being cocky. You see men overcompensating for some insecurity. And I got to tell you something. That is not what God's authority looks like. It's not. God's authority means that man leads and sets the tone in our culture. And what you have is you have a culture of men objectifying women. Men, I got to tell you something. The Lord is there when you are talking about females. Did you know that? <sighs> yeah, that's right. I need to hear it too. The Lord is there and he hears what you say about females who were created in his image. That's a big deal. Please. Wherever you are, if it's appearance-based, if it's about your body, if it's about your life, if it's about your friends and achieving some status, I want you to understand, please accept this truth. Do not compromise world, do not compromise godly conviction for fake worldly attention. Don't do it. Do not compromise godly conviction for fake worldly attention. Attention. 
Joseph's brothers had the if I could just mentality. If I could just get rid of Joseph, I'd solidify my value. But, I mean, seriously, and there's a lot of people in this room who are living with a if I could just mentality. If I could just be a boss one day, I'd have my identity. I'd have confidence. If I could just be the head honcho, I'd have my authority. I'd have my confidence. If I could just reach a certain amount of money, if I could just make it through college, if I could just have this in my bank account, if I could just drive this whip, if I could just have these J's, if I could just live this way, if I could just have this wedding, if I could just have this marriage, if I could just have these children. And we all live with this if I could just mentality and we're missing the authority God has called us to live in right now. The insecurities that you have, hear me, there is no season of life that will fix your insecurities. Your insecurities will only be fixed by the source of life. There's no season of life that will ever fix your insecurities. None. There is no season of life you will get to and all of a sudden your problems are solved. Never. It won't happen. Your insecurities are only solved when you sit at the feet of the source of life. His name is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sins. And you get to know him when you repent, amen, and you put your faith in him. You get to know him. And man, I can sense right now the devil trying to keep some of you from applying this truth. I got to keep going. C, the pit of dwelling on sin. The pit of dwelling on sin. We've seen a couple things. We've seen that they, are, they began unfaithful to what God had given them. And then they allowed insecurities to develop within them in their heart and their mind and how they, how they live. And now what do we see? Look with me at verse 16. We're skipping ahead. Joseph has the dream. He goes looking for his brothers. God gives him this calling, and here's where we are. Verse 16. <clears throat> I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph said. Can you tell me where they are pasturing their flocks? They moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph set out after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him in the distance. In verse 18, they saw him in the distance and before he had reached them. They plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. What we can do is we can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Can we pause right there? Goodness gracious, man. There's a lot right there. <laughs> Not only are they giving in to sin, they're coming up with a plan to conceal it. <laughs> Listen, when you start giving in to sin, don't be surprised when plans to hide it follow suit. <laughs> they start talking about how to cover it up. There is some wickedness happening right here. This is crazy. Look with me at verse 21. When Reuben heard this, he tried to save him from them. There's always one in the bunch. There's always one in the bunch that tries to stand up for what's right. Even if the motive is off a little bit. And you know what? Reuben gets outnumbered here. He gets outvoted. And I just want to tell you something. I got to stop right here as well. If you are the only godly friend in your friend group, you probably won't be able to live godly for long. Goodness gracious. That is not in my notes. I need to emphasize that. If you are the only, not Christian. I am not going to say Christian. If you are the only Christ follower in your friend group, it's going to be almost impossible to continue following Christ. I'm not saying it is impossible, but every single day is going to be a challenge. The environment, the people you surround yourself with, and this isn't just about lost people. Listen, if you are surrounded with friends who really don't want to live for Jesus, who really don't want to memorize scripture or share the gospel or make disciples, like if that's not a priority for them, don't be surprised when your priority of it goes away. <laughs> Man, who you surround yourself with is so, so vital. Look at your friend group. Think about it right now. Don't look at them right now like... 
He's talking about you. Don't look at him right now. Some of you are like, Daniel, he's right beside me. But think about your friend group. And this is in my notes. I need to stay on this. Who are you surrounded with? Are they on fire for Jesus? Notice I didn't ask if they're Christian. I'm not asking if they have a title. Are they fearing God and loving Jesus and sharing the gospel and making disciples? If your friend group is not doing that to the best of their ability, if they're not trying, you need to love them, you need to pray for them, you need to share the gospel with them, but ultimately you need to keep that friendship and go make some godly friends. You cannot rest your soul with people who don't know the Lord and don't love the Lord. You can minister to them. You can share the gospel with them. You can go hang out with them. But when you rest your soul with people who are not on fire for Jesus like you are, you'll begin to rest how they rest. And they rest not in Christ. They rest in this world. So when you rest with them, don't be surprised when you start resting with the world. Not a single bit of that in my notes. I don't know who that's for, but the Holy Spirit said it's for somebody. Amen. Praise God. I got to keep moving. Verse 22, Reuben tries to do something here. Reuben also said to them, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness. Don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from them and return him to his father. Oh, Reuben. Man, Reuben. Verse 23, man, there's always one in the bunch. There's somebody here tonight like Reuben who has, is hitched to somebody. Maybe you're dating somebody that's not on fire for Jesus. Or like I said, your friend group ain't on fire for Jesus. There's somebody tonight who's hitched to them and you're like, man, it's got to be different than this. Christianity has got to be different than going through a rule book and going through the motions. There's somebody here tonight. Verse 23, when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Can I tell you something? Joseph was blessed with that beautiful robe, but what was special about Joseph had nothing to do with what was on the outside and everything with what was on the inside. Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's love, Joseph's willingness to be humble and to chase after God, they can try to strip off that robe, but they can't take what God has put inside of Joseph. People may strip you of every single external blessing, but they can never take the internal joy and peace from Christ that you have. Never. Can't happen. They can't take what Christ has put inside of you. They take off the road, verse 24. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. You want to see one of the most wicked moments in the Bible? Who do I got here? Amber? I was looking for a name. You want to see one of the most wicked moments in the Bible? Look at this right here, Grayson. Watch this right here. Verse 25, they sat down to eat a meal. They throw them in a pit with no food and no water, and then they sit at the top of it to eat some Hueys. <laughs> they sit down, they're like, let's have a picnic. We just threw our brother in. We just betrayed our brother. We're going to kill him. Let's lay out the blanket. And Oh, who got the grapes? You got the grapes? You got the orange juice? They have a picnic at the top of his pit. Man, let me tell you something, man. There are people in this world who will betray you and then laugh about it over food. I know it's funny, I know it's games, but seriously, when you're not walking with the Spirit, you can't discern who those people are. And you put yourself at risk of being betrayed by people, and then they get to have a good laugh. Look at verse 20. Nope, that's it for right here. Joseph's brothers are about to become premeditated murderers right here in this text. They're about to kill him, and this did not happen overnight. This is very important. I hope that you don't miss this. What's happened here is they have been dwelling on jealousy. They have been dwelling on these sins. Their thought life has evolved around this. This is not something that just happened. 
Major acts like this don't just happen. What happens is it builds up over time. You have anger inside of you that you don't deal with and you don't pray over and you don't process and it builds and it builds and it builds and one day it erupts. Here's that moment for Joseph's brothers. They have been dwelling on sin and now, excuse me, comes a huge act of sin. I want you to write this down. Whatever you spend time thinking on, that's exactly what you'll end up acting on. Whatever you spend time thinking on, that's what you'll end up acting on. That's why we think and meditate and memorize the word of God. Because when you get the word of God in you, all of a sudden the word of God starts coming out of you. God bless you. I don't know if that was a sneeze or not. Sound like kind of like a burp. I don't want to put somebody on, on blast there. I'm so sorry. I promise I'm a nice guy. And they, you think about it. What your mind evolves around will become an act. The other night I was getting ready to go to bed. And uh, right before I got in bed, I'm telling you, this had to be spiritual warfare. It had to be of the devil. Right before I go to get in bed, I see a commercial of chocolate cake. And I'm like, man, I don't know about y'all, but I love cake. I hate ice cream. Can't stand ice cream. I do, yes. It's, I'm serious. I'm not lying. I hate ice cream. I think ice cream's a joke. I know you may not come back here. That's okay. No, please come back. But I love cake. And right before I get in bed, I see chocolate cake. And you know how it goes. I see this on the commercial. I start laying in bed, and as I'm laying there, I start thinking about food. <laughs> and sometimes when I lay down to go to bed, I just think about food. I don't know what it is. It's my passion. I start thinking about the Huey's mac and cheeseburger that used to be on the menu. <laughs> Rest in peace, pre-COVID. I start thinking about cheese tots. I start thinking about burgers. I start thinking about all this food. I can't help myself. I just start thinking about it. Something's been planted in my mind. And literally, I don't know what happens. But, like, it'll be 1 in the morning, and I'll be in the kitchen making a banquet spaghetti TV frozen dinner, and my wife will walk in and catch me eating it. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't know how I got here, baby. I'm like eating it over the sink and stuff. I don't know how this happened. I'm like, oh. You never expect someone to come in when you're eating spaghetti meals at 1 in the morning. You're like, oh. And she's staring at me like, are you on drugs? I'm like, no, I'm hungry. I've been thinking about food all night long. It's hilarious. It really is. But it has a very true application. I promise you it's stupid. But I wrote this down in my notes, and I think it does apply. Dwelling on sin is like dwelling on food. Are you ready for this? Don't miss this. I'm serious. Dwelling on sin, thinking on sin, meditating on sin is like dwelling on food. Here it is. The longer you think about it, the hungrier you become. Oh, yeah. The longer I think about food, the hungrier I become. And you know what? The longer you think about lust. The longer you allow yourself to be prideful, the longer you allow yourself to be arrogant, the longer you allow yourself to be selfish and you let these thoughts go round and round and round, you get hungrier and hungrier and hungrier for major sin. That's exactly what happened to Joseph's brothers. They dwelled on it. They thought about it. They let jealousy and comparison and bitterness own real estate in their mind. Literally, the devil was owning some real estate up in their mind. And what happened is when, it own, when the devil starts to own real estate, you start to act out in sin. You got to take those thoughts. You got to let the Holy Spirit buy that real estate back. You have to let the Holy Spirit enter into your mind daily and fill your mind with scripture. Or don't be surprised when dwelling on sin becomes an act of sin. Joseph's brothers probably never thought that they'd be giving into premeditated murder. And yet here they are. You know how people get to a place where they cheat on someone one day? It's because they've been thinking and thinking and thinking and they're not taking care of their thoughts. I've got to keep moving. Deal with sin. Philippians 4.8 is an amazing verse. This is a reference. I would love for you to write this down. Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence at all, if there is anything praiseworthy, I want you to what? Dwell on these things. Dwell on these things. You know what's amazing? Can I make a connection here? Watch this. This is the damages of sin. Joseph's brothers look like somebody in this chapter. They look like somebody else in scripture. You know who it is? His brothers have a plan and a scheme and a plot, watch this, to make a righteous man fall. They have been crafty, they have been manipulative, and they have created a way to make a righteous man fall. They look just like somebody else in the Bible. Early Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent came into the garden with a plan to make righteous people fall. That's the damage of sin. When you start meditating on sin, their brothers literally look like the serpent in Genesis chapter 3. Tell me the difference. They have a plan to make a righteous person fall because they're jealous of his calling and how he walks with God. God bless you. When you and I, I got to say it, I know it's harsh. But when you and I don't have people's best interests at heart, we start to look like the enemy and not our Lord and Savior. I got to keep moving from that. The last one is D, the pit of greed. D, the pit of greed. They have their meal. They eat at the, they have their picnic at the top of the pit. Some wickedness happening in this chapter. They betray him. They throw him in the pit. They're having a meal. And then look at 26. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain? I say, I said, what do we gain? Like you've thrown him into a pit. You've taken off his robe. You stripped him. And now they're talking about what do we gain? Do you see the selfishness of his brothers? They're literally like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I get that he's losing everything, but what do we get out of this? Man, that's some selfishness. Man, that's some wickedness. It's hard to preach this text. I got to tell you, it really is. It's hard to preach this. They're literally saying, wait a minute, shouldn't we get something out of this? And they say, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. There's some sympathy. I, I don't know if I believe it there. He's our own flesh and his brothers agreed. When Midianite traders passed by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver to the Ishmaelites who took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. What am I going to do? So they took Joseph's robe. Here they are. Now they're taking their sin, and they're elaborately and craft, in a crafting way, they're covering up their sin. And we're very capable of that. Verse 31, they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the robe in its blood. They sent the robe of many colors to their father and said, we found this. Examine it. Is it your son's robe or not? Can you imagine what was going on in their minds right there? As they're putting together this wicked scheme, as they're setting up Joseph to pretend he's dead. Can you, excuse me, can you imagine the selfishness? His father recognized it. It is my son's robe. Then Jacob, in verse 34, tore his clothes and put sackcloth around his waist and mourned for his sons for many days. After they enjoy a great meal, they sell Joseph. Just as Judas in the New Testament sold Jesus. Do you remember how much? They sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Right here, the brothers sell Joseph, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, and the brothers sell Joseph for 20 shekels of silver, which would have been what shepherds made in two years. So they just got a profit, is what they did. 
They just walked away with a great big old profit. Now, guess what? Because they made worldly money, they don't have to go back to the sheep for two years. They don't have to go back to what God has called them to do. They found a worldly way. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this world who find a worldly way to get out of God's calling. It doesn't matter how much money you obtain, you will never find the joy and the peace and the affirmation you want from this world. Doesn't matter how much you sell your own brother for, doesn't matter how much money you make, there is no dollar sign that will cover your soul. None. But the shed blood of Jesus Christ will. I want to ask you a question. Do you view the people in your life as just a means to get what you want? Or have you realized that the people in your life are the absolute biggest blessing that God has given you? They give in to greed. Recently, my grandmother passed away a few weeks ago. She passed away in October. And uh, I have a picture of me and my grandma that will come up on the screen. This is me and my grandma. We called her Big Mama. She's about 5'4", maybe 90 pounds, soaking wet, but we called her Big Mama. And she was the sweetest woman in the world. She was amazing. And a couple weeks ago, she, she battled COVID, and she beat COVID. But the effects of it were too much. She couldn't overcome the lasting effects of coronavirus. She beat cancer twice in her lifetime. She was a fighter. She was a member of Faith Baptist up the road. And every Sunday, I love this, every Sunday she would greet in the welcome lobby and make people feel welcome. Like a lot of you do out here in our lobby. My grandma did that every Sunday faithfully. Came in, served, and greeted people with a smile. Knew that greeting and door holding and sign holding was never beneath her. <laughs> Some of us need that lesson. I do. Served every single Sunday. She loved people. She loved people. And she was madly in love with Jesus Christ. And I think I've been thinking over the last month about my biggest takeaway from, from her life. And I wrote it down. No matter what she went through, whether it was cancer twice or COVID, she realized and had the faith, watch this, that Jesus is enough. 84 years, the biggest takeaway I have of my grandma's life is that she believed Jesus was enough. Can I ask you a question? Are you there yet? Have you come to the point where you realize whether you go through COVID, whether you go through cancer, whether your own blood betrays you, whether if nobody else in this world ever loves you again, whether you get married or not, whether you have a successful career or you end up homeless, have you come to the realization that no matter what you go through, Jesus Christ is always enough? Always. I leave you with this, Philippians 4, verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus.